Uh, good morning. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Morning, Greg. Wow. Uh, it's great to be with you. And um, I wasn't sure. I, Matt mentioned that Jonathan was going to be introducing me, and I thought, oh dear, he's, um, he's had a week with me. Uh, what will he say? But thank you for keeping stum. Well done. Yes, thank you. Um, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning. And I I'll begin by, by uh, saying how, uh, how lovely it is to be with you all this morning and to be able to open God's Word together. Let me just get my stopwatch going. Let's pray briefly. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts and the affections of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, Romans 5 then. And um, <clears throat> uh, on the 31st of July uh, last year, uh, England won, uh, which is a remarkable thing to say. Uh, don't say it very often, but uh, England won. And if you are English, uh, you won. Now, I, I said this with certainty at the church back home, but I, I'm guessing this is true. I'm guessing none of you played in the final of the women's championship in, on the 31st of July. I'm assuming that you didn't play. Uh, I'm assuming you weren't in the coaching staff. I'm pretty sure you weren't the manager. Uh, but if you're English, on that day, you, you won. We won. And... Uh, if you are, if you're Welsh, I have to confess I, w I was born there, so I, but I, I'm, I'm English. Um, don't date that. But anyway, uh, Wales beat Scotland. So if you're Welsh, yesterday you won in the rugby in the women's Six Nations. And I'm again, I'm assuming none of you uh, were involved in that because none of you are battered and bruised this morning that I can see at least. But how does that work? Because we can say we won if we're English, or we won because we're Welsh, or in the men's Six Nations, we can say we lost. Um, but how does that work? Well, they represent us, don't they? Those people on the pitch, they represent us. They, they take our place. They, they play for us. They play on our behalf. But not only do they play on our behalf, but the result they achieve is credited to us. So the next morning, it was Sunday night, the women's final, the next morning, you could say, we won. Or even, I won. And you think, well, I wasn't there. But you could say we won quite legitimately, if you're English, if you were, you were German, you could say, we lost. Because they represent us, and their result is credited to us. It's, it's, it's ours, because we're... Well, we're with them by virtue of where we were born. And so we have in this text that we're going to read, why am I talking about football? Well, C.J. Mahaney always begins with a sports illustration. That's a sovereign grace thing. But no, because I want us to understand representation. Other people represent us and other people achieve a result on our behalf. That's what happens in football or in rugby, in, in representative level, whether it be county or national. And so Paul, as we read this text in a moment, is talking about two men, Adam and Christ, 
who represent us and whose result, whose achievement, whose disobedience or obedience is credited to us. That's that's what Paul is doing. And Paul is saying in this text, as we'll read just in a moment, is all of humanity are represented by one or the other. He uses the language of in, in Adam or in Christ. These are the two options, the two choices, the two families, the two groups of people. So let's read Romans 5, 12 to the end of the chapter. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And by the free gift of grace that of one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men or all people." For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase trespass, but where where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ." Our Lord. So Paul in this section says that we are all, all of humanity is either represented by Adam or by Christ. So this room as as I speak and you sit here is divided into two. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. And there are two destinies. For those who are in Adam, there's one, and for those who are in Christ. And what is true of us in this room is true in whatever situation you might find yourself. Everyone in your street is either in Adam or in Christ. Everyone in your block of flats is either in Adam or in Christ. Everyone in your school is either in Adam or in Christ, or in your workplace, or in your home. Everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. And in Adam, there is death and there is condemnation. 
If you, you read, I haven't counted it up, but if you read how many times Paul mentions either death or condemnation, I think he probably outdoes himself with grace and righteousness. But in Adam there is death and there is judgment. But in Christ there is life and there is righteousness. And those are the two stark realities, either in Adam or in Christ. These men are representatives. Their actions are credited to us, whether we're in Adam or we're in Christ. And they're credited to us by nature in Adam. We're in Adam by nature, but the fact that we're human beings, we're in Adam. And Christ His righteousness and his life are credited to us through faith. If you cast your eye back to chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, that is why his faith, speaking of Abraham, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul has been explaining in the first part of Romans that we are all under judgment, all under condemnation, all in Adam, the language of chapter 5, but through faith in Christ, We are no longer under condemnation, but we are declared righteous. That's what the word justified means. We are justified. It means God declares us righteous. Christ's righteousness, his obedience, his goodness, his right standing before God is credited to us. Not given, because we'd ruin it if it was given. No, it's counted as ours. And Paul, in chapter 5, from verses 12 onwards, is, is defending and explaining this kind of question. Is it fair that Christ's work, his life, his death, his resurrection, his righteousness, is counted as mine? Like, What's God doing there? Is God allowed to do that? Is God, and you know the answer to this, God is allowed to do this, and God isn't being unfair. God is entirely right to do this. But Paul is thinking it through, thinking through the implications. So we're going to work through the text. And then at the end, there's three applications, beginning with, I don't know whether it will come up, but what we lost in Adam, the first few verses. And then we'll think about, we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. What did we lose being in Christ? Adam. Sin came into the world through one man. Paul states right at the beginning of this argument that he begins that sin and rebellion and death came into the world through the sin of one man. He's not named in verse 12, but is in verse 14. Something this one man did affected us all. Now we need to stop, we'll stop just for a moment and ask the question. Now, uh, Genesis, kind of the beginning, Genesis, the creation account, there are people have questions about. Is it metaphorical? Is it literal? All those kind of questions. I I, I said to Matt, I I just texted him about it. I'm not going to answer that question, okay? You can ask your pastors. 
But the question we need to, to be sure to answer was, was there, is there a literal Adam in a garden with Eve who was given a command, do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Is, did that really happen? And it did. There was a real Adam in a real garden with a real tree and a real serpent. It really happened. For it not to happen, Paul's argument is a nonsense. Okay, just because he's talking about an imaginary man who didn't exist, if that was the case. No, there's a, a real Adam. And he had a wife, and you know was called Eve, and they were placed in this garden. And God walked with them. And God said, don't eat from this certain tree, just one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam did. And you'll notice that Adam is the one here, even though Eve ate first. We're told that Adam, Eve was deceived, but Adam freely, disobediently, defiantly took the fruit and ate it. And that one trespass, that one sin, brought death. God said, the day of you, eat of it, of you, you will eat of it, you will surely die. Now, Adam and Eve didn't immediately die physically. I mean, they carried on breathing. Uh, Adam lived for about 950 years, I seem to recall. Quite a long time after eating that fruit. No, death in the Bible it can be physical death, but, but often it's more than that. Death in this sense, what happened in the garden? God cast them out from his presence. Death is separation from God. And if we are separated from God, and God is the source of all joy, and all love, and all peace, and all comfort, then apart from him, there will be an absence of those things, and there will be sorrow. And there will be worry. And there will be hardship. And there will be decay. And there will be animosity and conflict. Just imagine for a moment. Sometimes I think we get glimpses of this, or maybe, maybe on a cold summer's evening when the heat's gone. And if you, if you, if you have a garden, you're, you're, you're fortunate to have a garden and you can walk and it's kind of cool and it's lovely. Just imagine that when Adam had done whatever chores he'd done, naming the animals or, I don't know, making the garden a bit bigger, God... God walks up to him, says, hi, Adam, how did you get on today? And Adam says, well, you never guess what? I saw this animal with a ridiculous long neck, and I called it a giraffe. Or I saw this ridiculous animal with a really long nose, and I called it an elephant. Or I just found a new tree down the end of the garden, and the fruit on it I, I've never seen before, but, but I tasted it, and it was good. And God would just speak with Adam, face to face. 
That's why the high priestly blessing is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May, his face, may he cause his face to shine upon you. Adam lost that. And because Adam lost that, because he rebelled, a creature of the dust, rebelled against his creator, death came into the world. And because death came into the world, death now reigns. That's what we're told. And death spread to all men, all people, because all sin. We are born under death. Under its reign, we are born separated from God. The best of men are men at best. And that means we are separated. We are enemies of God. And Paul repeats this again and again. Verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. The same point is repeated again and again to hammer home. Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, We are dead in trespasses and sin." So the spiritual death that covers the world, all of Adam's helpless race, leads to a life of sin. And a life of sin leads to eternal judgment. Or we could say eternal death. That's Paul's argument. It's pretty bleak, isn't it? But we, we, we know that through our experience, don't we? Some of I've noted we, we live in a culture of death where, where good things are destroyed and we seem to be running further from God. Now the question I want to ask briefly is, is that fair? Because Adam did that one thing and then we, death came into the world and then death rules over us and we're all sinners because we're in Adam, is, is that fair? Now that's a big question, isn't it? Throughout the Bible, representatives are used. I think probably uh, an example would be David. Think of David and Goliath. David goes to fight Goliath. He represents the people. He wins. And all the, all the soldiers who were, who were quaking, who were scared, they won as well. And they didn't do anything. But... His victory is their victory. And they join in on that victory because then they chase the Philistines. So we see it all through the Bible. The priests represent the people all the way through. That's the way God created the world. It exists. We, uh, the king, the, the, our king is representing us, whether you like it or not, like him or not, is representing us I don't know where he is now, but he was in Germany in the week. And he, he is representing us in our place. Now, we might think, well, I wouldn't have chosen Adam. In fact, if I'd have been there, I'd have, I wouldn't have eaten. Now, food is my downfall, so I definitely would have done. But, but we could think that, couldn't we? Look, we? Adam was just food, and I'm much wiser, I'm much stronger than Adam. Well, who chose Adam to be the representative? God. God chose, and God chose well. God, in his infinite wisdom, he, he's good all of the time. So we can't say that God chose Adam and it was a foolish choice. 
or it was a wicked choice, it was a mischievous choice, or it was ill-conceived. No, God chose him as a, a representative, a fair representative of all humanity. And you think, well, that still doesn't seem fair. Okay. So I don't want him to represent me. I want to stand before God on my own terms. Okay, fine. That's a foolish thing to say. We want someone to represent us before God. And if we don't like the fact that Adam did, we say, well, not for me. Well, you can't really have Christ representing you. Because that wouldn't be fair either by your account. So if you object to the idea that another represents you and their actions are counted as yours, then you need to find another way of pleading your case before a holy God who sees every sin every act of rebellion against you. You need to come up with some other way because you have discounted Christ as your representative. And neither can we say, well, I'm just in Adam. It's not my fault. No, we deliberately sin. We do it. And God will account help hold us accountable. So we lost in Adam and in the state that every human being is born into. We lost relationship with God, communion with God, face-to-faceness with God. We, we lost a lot. But in Christ, we gain more than we lost. In Christ, we gain more than we lost. Verses 15 to 18 Christ uh, and Adam are, are portrayed differently. There's a contrast made and then there's a comparison made in the last few verses. The end of chapter 12, we're told, uh, sorry, not the, the end of verse 14, we're told that Adam was a type of the one who is to come. So Paul's setting us up and saying, well, there's, I'm gonna, there's more to say, not just about Adam, but about Christ. He's, he's a picture, he's like someone else, a model of one who is to come. And we're told uh, that that's Christ. Uh, we sing, I think you do, do too, come behold the wondrous mystery. And in it we say, uh, uh, the, the true and better Adam. That's what Paul says. He's the true and better Adam. It's, he's like him, but he's different from him. He's better than him. Because what Adam did brought destruction, but what Christ did brings redemption. Verses 15 onwards then. Adam brought death, but Christ brings grace. Verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and by the free gift... By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Free gift is a phrase repeated five times in these verses, in these three verses. Free gift, free gift, free gift. Paul is emphasizing that God did not have to intervene. No one could say, God, you have to. No, he was a free gift of grace unmerited kindness. Adam brought death, spiritual and physical, and Christ brings life. But Paul here, he doesn't contrast 
death with life, he contrasts death with grace. Why does he, why does he do that? You would expect that to be the contrast, right? Why, why does he do this? Well, he magnifies grace. He, he wants us to, to get the vastness of the unmerited kindness that God shows to us in Christ. This one sin brought death and condemnation and judgment. But grace, we are told, covers a multitude of sins. Christ covers a multitude of sins. We, we use the language, some people use the language if they've been ill for a long time and then they make a, a recovery. And, and, it, and they might say, well, it, it feels like I've been given my life back. The, the medical staff have given me a gift. They've kept me alive. They've, they've caused me to recover from whatever illness. Paul wants to emphasize that Christ in his work has outdone Adam's fall and his work. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us, we're told. Chapter 5, verse 8. Christ has given you much more this morning if you are trusting in him than Adam ever lost. It's grace and then grace and then grace. Verse 16. Adam brought condemnation after one sin, but Christ brings justification after many sins. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So one trespass, one sin, brought condemnation. And that's fair. God warned them. We, we, we're in the habit of minimizing sin, our own and Adam's. But God warned him and he disobeyed. And since that one sin, there have been many trespasses. Just in this room, let's, let's uh, afterwards, we'll count up all the sins uh, that we, we have committed since we woke up this morning. And, and we would have a multitude of sins, even amongst such godly people. But there's a multitude of sins. But we're told justification. That's right standing before God. Comes through one man's act. Free gift following many trespasses, poor justification. Christ represents us. Paul wants to assure us in this text that although... If you're a believer, sometimes we act more like we are Adam and in Adam. Through faith in Christ, they are safe in Christ. You are safe in Christ. He represents you. His righteousness is counted as yours. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, or to use the words of the song we sang earlier, praise the king who bore my sin, took my place when I stood 
condemned. So Adam brought condemnation through this one sin, but Christ brings justification after many sins. His, his life, his death, his resurrection brings justification for all who come. All of those sins are dealt with, the multitude of them. And then Adam brings death's rule, but Christ brings our reign in life. For if, verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This one sin led to death. Out of the garden, eventually physical death. And we feel that. Death reigns. It rules. It has power over us. Uh, humanity, especially now in our technological age, wants to defeat death. We want to conquer it. I read somewhere that I might live, because of when I was born, I might live to like 120. Hey? What a thought, eh? That's how many more years of me? 80 years of me. What a wonderful thing. But... Um, anyway, I'm off my notes now, sorry. Perhaps we can delay it, okay? And we try, don't we? But we feel its sting. And we fear it. I'm not in for... Um, people ask me to do funerals. I do a good funeral, apparently. I don't know what that means. But... One thing people say, sometimes I go, people are especially unchurched folk, and they say, we want it to be a celebration of life. And can you wear what light, bright colours? And I'm, like, I'm wearing a black suit with a black tie. Because someone's died. And death is an intrusion on God's good creation. Don't ever lose that. Don't ever think it's normal. But acknowledge that death reigns. Death reigns, and we are affected by that. But we are told that those who believe or receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. It's not that death reigned and then life reigns. No, it's that we reign in life. Because Christ conquered death. He, he rules over it. He, he's vanquished it, just like David slayed Goliath. So Christ has conquered death. And, and the remarkable thing is that Paul says we will reign with Christ in life. His victory is our victory. His reign becomes our reign in some remarkable way. Life has been restored because our relationship with God has been restored. We are no longer alienated. And yet, we feel death, don't we? Illness and hurt and rejection, we still feel. Yet Paul says we reign in life with Christ. Just cast your eye to chapter 8, verse 18. 
Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time is not worth comparing with all the glory that is to be revealed to us. We might not feel like we reign in life with Christ now. But we do. We're told we're seated in the heavenly places with him. And one day, that heavenly reality will be a physical reality. And we will reign in life with him forever. So they're contrasted and then they're compared, verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19 are parallels. They're saying the same thing pretty much. There is justification, there's condemnation and justification in Adam. There's disobedience leading to sin and obedience that leads to righteousness. So, so Paul here is, is contrasting. He, he, he says that through this one act of rebellion, there is condemnation. Through this one act of dis- disobedience, verse 19, the many were made sinners. But through the one act of righteousness, many are justified. Adam, in the garden, decided to do his own thing. He did his own will. He saw that it was good, and he took it and he ate it from Eve's hands. And one trespass, one act of disobedience. But Christ was righteous and obedient throughout his life. Throughout his life, but summarized perhaps, or maybe most clearly seen in the last few days of his well, life before he rose again. Summarized in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, having the cross set before him and knowing his friends would abandon him and the hardship that he would go through, what did he pray yet? Not my will, but yours. That's staggering obedience in the most hostile, sorrowful circumstances. He recoils at what is before him. He who knew no sin was made sin. That is a staggering text. We'll spend eternity digging digging through that text. The the, the life of Christ was a, a whole life, one act of perfect obedience. Temptation came and was overcome time and time again. And in Adam, we are reigned over by death, but in Christ we reign over by life. We're told, verse 20, this, uh, we'll briefly look at verse 20, but Paul says, basically, when, you, when God gave the law, you sinned more. Okay, And your sin was worse because God told you what you shouldn't do. Now, I'm trying to think of an illustration for this, but maybe um, children, you can pick on children. Sorry, children, but that's what happens, isn't it? There's something that they shouldn't have, and you kind of think they probably know they shouldn't have it, and they take it, and you think, well, 
you tell them off. But if you've specifically told them not to do it, don't on any circumstances eat that cake or don't any circumstances move that thing or don't on any circumstances hit your brother, whatever it might be, but they do it. It's worse because they knowingly rebel. That's what Paul's point in verse 20. And so sin abounds. There's more sin because we're by nature, we're lawbreakers. I've seen you driving at more than 30 miles an hour. But, but more than that, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's important, I know, but it's, it's trivial, isn't it? We don't love God as we ought to. We don't love one another as we ought to. I mean, it's plain in Scripture. We should love God and love our neighbor. That's like basic. And yet we don't do it. And so Paul says, well, sin increased, but grace abounded. Grace abounds in this text. That's true in our experience too, isn't it? The more we see our sin, the more we see grace. The more we see God's unmerited kindness. Death reigned over you. Sin reigned over you. But in Christ, you will reign with Christ for eternity. He reigns, we're told, through righteousness that leads to eternal life. Life with God that cannot be lost. See, Adam and Christ are different. Adam lost face-to-faceness. Christ can't, you can't lose that if you're in Christ. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a glorious salvation. Those who rebelled will reign with him. So Paul shows us the greatness of our rebellion, the direness of our situation, so he can mercifully show us the greatness of Christ in redemption. We lost, what we lost in Adam, we gain way much more in Christ. And that cannot be lost because Christ cannot fail. Three applications quickly at the end. First one is a choice. I'm going to ask you plainly, where are you this morning? Are you in Adam or you're in Christ? Everyone starts in Adam. Everyone is born in Adam under the reign of death, under condemnation, a rebel against God. And your sin against God is serious. We know that to be true. If it weren't true, then God the Father would have no need of sending the Son to to remedy the situation. So this morning, if you are not trusting Christ yet, come to Him. You think, "I'm, I'm not good enough. Well, that's fine. No one is. That's the point. Come to Him where sin abounds, grace abounds also. Come to the one, the eternal Son, who took on flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, died under the condemnation of God the Father for the sins of his people and rose triumphant three days later and now sits at the Father's right hand waiting to return and make all things new. You need to know that. But more than that, knowing that, you need to know it to be true 
And you need to know it to be true for you. Depend on Christ. Secondly, concern or maybe challenge. It's choice, concern. I know a lot of good people who aren't Christians. Uh, but they are under the reign of death. They're in Adam. I was listening to a sermon this week and I was reminded that because we can confess the lostness, can't we, of our friends and our families that without Christ they are without hope. But sometimes we can, can kind of confess it and believe it and not really believe it at the same time because we kind of think they'll be okay. But Paul's really clear in this text. Without Christ, in Adam, no one is okay. And so our response has to be like Paul's, doesn't it? Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Uh, Easter's coming up. Easter's a declaration of good news. So I challenge you. We noted that there's two groups of people. Two groups of people in this room. Two people groups. Two groups of people in your school, two people, groups of people in your workplace, two groups of people in your family, two groups of people in your home. In Adam they are condemned and in Christ there is righteousness. There is life, there is hope, there is joy, there is peace. And then finally there is comfort for those who are in Christ. When you sin, when you feel condemned, and apart from Christ, you would be, remind yourself that you are not in Adam anymore. Your destination has been radically changed through Christ's obedience in his life. You are not condemned. Colossians 1 Verse 13, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're going to take comfort in this. Because often we're like Adam. We disobey, don't we? And we doubt God's goodness and we doubt God's word. But Christ's righteousness is credited to us when we trust in him. There, there is no better righteousness. And so you are safe. And you are secure. And though it, will not, it doesn't feel like it, you reign in life. You, you reign in life. And you reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a choice for some of you. There's a challenge for all of you. And there is a comfort for all who are in Christ. Let me pray. 
Father, without Christ, where would we be? Under condemnation? Under judgment? Away from you, apart from you. And so we thank you again that grace abounds in Christ. And his righteousness is ours through faith in him. And his reign is our reign. And his life is our life. Even we could say his place in heaven is our place in heaven. It's just a remarkable thing. And so we bless you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.